Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. You have many questions, and though the process has altered your consciousness, you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question may be the most pertinent, you may or may not realize it is also the most irrelevant. Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus continue their fight against the machines that have enslaved humanity. Join us as we discuss the best thing about science, rejects from a white snake video, and we give respect to Rick Moranis. We also share some news about the upcoming Nyx Marathon before finding out if the Matrix Reloaded stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Test of Time. I'm James Brief, and joining me as always, hi, Alan, how are you? Alan Noah. That's me. I am doing very well, James. Not joining us this week is Uri Moskowitz, who was here last week when we talked about The Matrix. We were hoping to record uh, this week's episode and next week's uh, The Matrix Reloaded and The Matrix Revolutions with our friend Uri, but he lives in Texas and he left town before we could record those other episodes and it just didn't work out timing wise. And uh, sorry, Uri, sorry we couldn't uh, make that work out. Yeah, it seems that the timing messed with Texas, as we all know. Uh, don't mess with Texas. Very, very true. I also do just want to mention in last week's episode, there was some weird audio stuff that happened towards the end there for like 15 seconds. And I don't think that was a mess with Texas thing. I think that was a the Matrix thing. I think the Matrix didn't like that we were talking about it. Dun, dun, dun. Produced by Joel Silver. <laughs> Hopefully that doesn't happen again this week. Uh, but Uri, we do hope that we can have you back on the show at some point. It's always great when you come into town and we get to hang out. So hopefully we'll be able to uh, record with you again sometime soon. You know, I know the perfect weekend that Uri should come back in town. Are you talking about Nick's Marathon? I am. I'm talking about January 28th through January 30th, 2022. Yeah, so listeners of the podcast know that we usually talk about Nick's Marathon. That's a charity that James and I run. We play video games for an entire weekend. We raise a lot of money for charity. It's a great time. Usually we do Nick's Marathon in November or December. But this year we really wanted to do an in-person event because last year we were virtual because of COVID. And we wanted to do everything together where we could all be in your apartment, James, here playing video games, sitting on the couch, relaxing, eating junk food. And we just wanted to wait till everybody, kids included, were vaccinated and the timing just wasn't going to work out in 2021. So we pushed it to 2022. And so what? We're just going to do it a little bit later than normal this time around. And I foresee that for the foreseeable future, the CEO of Pfizer is basically going to dictate uh, dates of next marathon in years to come. I don't want to give that guy that much power. It's fine that he has all of the power with the vaccines and everything else for, you know, the the health of the world, but not over Nick's marathon. 
That is true. That's where you cross the line. Right. So Nick's Marathon is a charity we started in 2008. We named it after our friend Nick, Nick Capabianco. Uh, He passed away. He lost his battle with leukemia. And Nick loved really two things more than anything else, playing video games and spending time with friends. So then we had this idea to do a charity in his honor that combined those two things, playing video games, spending time with friends, and we raise money and we use a lot of that money to buy video games for children's hospitals, for the local Ronald McDonald house, where Nick was at the ribbon cutting when it first opened when he was a little kid. So it's a great cause. It's a cause very close to our hearts. And you should check us out that weekend at nicksmarathon.org, N-I-C-K-S, Marathon. I spell that because sometimes people assume there's a K, like it's the Knicks basketball team, but it's not. So mark your calendars now. Knicks Marathon, January 28th through January 30th. If for some reason you haven't followed Knicks Marathon on social media, you should. It's at Knicks Marathon on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And also, you could go to KnicksMarathon.org and make a donation now. It's 2021. Some people like to make donations for the tax year at the end of the year. You can still donate, even though we won't be playing video games until January. You can donate whenever. Don't donate while you're driving, though. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But if you're a passenger and someone else is driving, then it's fine. It's encouraged. Yeah. But let's talk about this week's movie, The Matrix Reloaded. We talked about The Matrix last week with Uri. We're going to talk about The Matrix Revolutions next week, all because of The Matrix Resurrections, which is coming to theaters and HBO Max. And for people who don't remember The Matrix Reloaded, what's it all about? So this film, this is the sequel to The Matrix, and we continue to follow Neo, Trinity, and Morpheus in their battle against the artificial intelligence that's enslaved humanity. The last human city, Zion, is about to be attacked by the machines, so Morpheus sends Neo to seek advice from the Oracle. The Oracle then sends Neo to find the Keymaker, who will lead Neo to find the creator of The Matrix. But Agent Smith, who was seemingly destroyed in his last battle with Neo, has become a rogue program replicating himself throughout the Matrix, intent on getting revenge on Neo. Right. And this movie, when it came out four years after The Matrix, was a big hit because people were dying to see it. For the last four years, people were obsessed with The Matrix. People watched it all the time on DVD. There were fan theories. Everyone wanted more of this. So when this movie came out, it was a big deal. I don't think I saw The Matrix in the theater. I definitely saw The Matrix Reloaded in the theater. Yeah, a lot of people forget the anticipation for this film. It wasn't as much as The Phantom Menace, but I think it might be the second most anticipated film that I can remember people being just dying for this to come out in my entire lifetime. I mean, people were waiting for Endgame, a Marvel Endgame, but you you knew it was coming. I mean, you're just waiting for it. You didn't know there was going to be a sequel to The Matrix. It was several years later. And, uh, you know, the whole cast and the directors are back. And for a while, the Wachowski brothers, as they were uh, billed back then and known back then, it was like, Lord of the Rings should be directed by the Wachowski brothers. And these directors were uh, were gods. And as we mentioned last week, uh, they're now known as Lana and Lily Wachowski. People were anticipating what are they going to do, not just with the story, but what are they going to do to change filmmaking? And I would say the expectations for this film 
were maybe insurmountable. It was just something maybe you just couldn't surpass because the first film, like it or not, showed people uh, things in a film that they maybe had never seen before, except maybe in a Gap ad. (laughs) <laughs> right, right. It was a smash hit. I mean, the film had a huge budget, $150 million, along with its sequel. They were filmed kind of concurrently, so um, right. whether it was actually $300 million to make two films, I'm not really sure. And it opened at number one with $91.7 million. I, I mean, this film just crushed the records, uh, and it wound up being $460 million domestically. And I mean, this was a box office since around the world. It made $741 million worldwide. And not only that, it had a sequel coming less than a year later. I mean, this was yeah. just gangbusters for Warner Brothers. Right. I think they build 2003 as the year of the Matrix because this movie came out in May. The Matrix Revolutions came out in November. Right. So they were going for the summer and the winter. I don't know if you remember this, but this was back in the GameCube Xbox, PlayStation 2 era, and there was this game called Enter the Matrix, and it was hyped as, this is like the prequel to the Matrix Reloaded, and there was this Animatrix, which kind of told the story of how the Matrix came to be, and that got amazing reviews too. Yeah. So, um, the hype was so huge, and it made a, a ton of money. Right, right. And the movie itself starts with Trinity, and she's on some mission in the Matrix. She's riding her motorcycle. She goes out of a window. An agent follows her, and she gets shot while she's falling. And then we realize that this is all just a dream, a nightmare that Neo is having. And we quickly learn that the machines are going to Zion. Zion is the last human city. It was mentioned in the first Matrix movie, but we didn't see it. And apparently now the machines are on their way to wipe this city out, to destroy all of the humans who are living there. And there's like a big meeting with Morpheus and Neo and a bunch of the other ship leaders who are part of this last stand of humanity. And this meeting is kind of like one of these like meeting of the dons, but they're meeting in the Matrix. So this is like a virtual meeting on all their ships, I guess. And outside this building where they're meeting, a knock comes on the door. Someone says, I'm dropping this off for Neo. And they're like, I never heard of him. I guess they're not supposed to know who that is. And they open it up and it's an earpiece. And it turns out it's Agent Smith's earpiece. Presumably, Agent Smith had been killed at the end of the first Matrix film. But as we're quickly finding out, Agent Smith was not killed. In fact, he was changed. And we're going to slowly find out what these changes are. Right. So then all of these guys who are in this meeting are called back to Zion because the city's going to be under attack and they need to figure out military strategy and all of that. We get to Zion and we're introduced to a new character called Kid or The Kid. Like that's the character's name. And this person seems to have a connection with Neo. Like they have some history. And I was confused at first because I was like, who is this guy? Was he in the first movie? I don't think so. I just watched the first movie and I don't remember him. And I was doing some research today. Apparently this character was introduced in the Animatrix and that's why they have this shared history. Yeah, I I really hate when that happens. Like, uh, 
Even Star Wars does that. General Grievous, who the hell is this guy? Oh, you had to watch this other spinoff show to know who he is. You didn't have to watch that. It was just like a cool thing where he made his debut. But I'm saying, in this case, there's there's a major character, and you're like wondering, who is he? I actually thought this was Mouse from the first Matrix. And I'm like... Oh, I guess maybe he survived too, because you know maybe I don't know all the rules. Maybe he was just shot and he you know made it out somehow. This guy kind of looks like Mouse. That's true. It was confusing, and we're also introduced to a ton of new characters like very early on in the movie, which makes sense because, as you might remember from the Matrix, a lot of their crew is killed. Like Morpheus and Trinity and Neo escape, but a lot of the other supporting characters that are with them on the Nebuchadnezzar, a lot of them die. Right, and there's uh, Niobe, uh, played by Jada Pinkett Smith. Uh, there's Link, played by uh, Harold Paranow. You probably know him from Lost, right? Y- yes. Yeah, I know him originally from Oz. He was like the main character in Oz. I've always loved him. So when I saw him pop up in this film, that was really cool. And his character, Link, kind of replaces the character of Tank. You mentioned uh, most of the supporting characters died, but there was one supporting character, and that's Tank. That character was played by an actor named Marcus Chung. And apparently there was some kind of maybe extortion. He wanted to be paid more, and something happened happened and he was fired from the subsequent films and they kind of kill him off screen and say that this is your what brother or cousin i believe they were brothers or brothers-in-law yeah something like that because they just mentioned like it's not fair that dozer and tank aren't here either we knew that uh Dozer was dead, so it's uh, just implied they killed him off screen. This is a different character, but it kind of takes the place. He does the same thing that uh, Tank had done. Right, right. And while they're in Zion, Morpheus is butting heads with Commander Locke, who's the leader of the military, and they do not see eye to eye. Apparently, part of the reason they don't like each other is because of Niobe, the Jada Pinkett Smith character, because she used to be with Morpheus and now she's with Locke and there's some bad blood there. But also, Locke doesn't believe in the One and Morpheus very much believes in the One. Right, and Locke is played by a fantastic actor. I don't know if you've ever seen him in anything, but uh, this actor's name is Harry Lennox. Yeah, of course. He was in uh, the Superman movies. He's one of the military guys in... uh, Man of Steel and uh, and Batman v Superman. Yes, yes, he was in the DC films. Um, he's in The Blacklist. He's a great actor. And um, there's a great exchange between Locke and Morpheus. Locke says to Morpheus, not everyone believes what you believe. And Morpheus just replies to him, my beliefs don't require them to. It reminds me of uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the astrophysicist, who said the best thing about science is that it doesn't require your belief in it for it to be true. And I might be paraphrasing his quote, but uh, I love that thing about Morpheus because he's so committed to it. And I was wondering about that, and I'm like, how does everyone not know about Neo? And, you know, if you think about it, the events of the Matrix are kind of confined to Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. Maybe it's kind of legend, and as we see, there are definitely people in Zion that are followers of Neo, but it doesn't look like everyone thinks he's that special. Yeah, and there is religious symbolism in The Matrix, the first movie, 
but they really crank that up to 11 in this movie. When Neo is walking around Zion, he is worshipped. People are like coming up to him and bowing their heads and asking him to look after their brothers and sons and daughters. He is basically a messiah to a lot of the people in the city, Zion. And Morpheus explains to everyone what's happening, that the machines are coming and there's going to be an attack. But don't worry, because everything's going according to plan. There's this prophecy. No need to be alarmed. And also, let's have a party. Yeah, you know, this speech, it kind of goes for that riveting speech that's going to just rile everyone up. And I will say this speech really showed me how good an actor Lawrence Fishburne is because I was just not that inspired by it, but he's just so good at delivering it. But I remember just being really underwhelmed by it. I don't know about you. What'd you think? I didn't really feel that strongly about it one way or the other. Maybe that's because in my head I was like, oh, wait, now the big rave scene is coming up. And I was like focused on the scene that was going to happen as opposed to focusing on the scene that I was watching, which is bad for me to do. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, But I mean, his voice is just so commanding and and also like the echo reverb because he's speaking in a cave kind of a thing. Yeah, like you could see why all those people would listen and be inspired by Morpheus just because of, you know, his presence and his voice and, and you know, his authority. He is speaking with gravitas. But yes, we just got to talk about this rave scene. I mean, <laughs> basically, he's talking about there's machines and there's humans. And tonight, we are going to be human. And what do humans do? We dance. We have music. And... Well, not just humans, but a difference between that and machines. The medical term is um, boink. Uh, Sure, because intercut with the rave scenes, we see Neo and Trinity having sex, which is, by the way, not sexy. And it's not the fault of Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, who are both very, very attractive people. It's because... In this world, their bodies are filled with, like, holes because they used to be connected to the Matrix, and we're seeing that, and it's just, like, off-putting, I thought. Like, I get that that's what they were going for, the realism of it, but um, I just did not find this sexy. The rave scene is way too damn long, and also, like, the people in the rave are grinding and you kind of assume it's like a massive orgy thing and yeah you get it that it's the contrast between man versus machines people versus machines i should say but it's just way too damn long yeah this is the part where i'm gonna say that i have not seen this film since i saw it in the theaters in may of uh 2003 so this was the second time i saw this film i didn't really remember too much of it so i will say that the rave scene is definitely too long But I did understand it a lot better. I completely didn't get it. When I saw this in 2003, I was like, get to the Matrix and Kung Fu in 3D. You know, I I was not into more of the subtlety because I think the directors uh, of this film were kind of thinking, you know, we now have control over this. We're going to do the scenes that we want to do. I am sure that there were notes to trim this. 
but this is what they want to do. And I would say I appreciate a little bit more than I did back then, but it is still way too long. And I do agree with you that the sex scenes with uh, Neo and Trinity are not sexy, not because of the uh, parts in her spine. I I just think it's just weirdly shot. I I don't know. I don't know any of these dancing characters. And then it just flashes to, uh, you know, spoiler alert for, uh, for, for next week's film that we're reviewing, the sequel, The Matrix Revolutions. This is the last time they're ever going to be together like this, right? I guess so. Yeah, I think this might be the last time that, that they'll ever make love. So I get it, but it, it's it's long, man. Yeah, yeah. I do like the scene when after they have sex, Neo goes for a walk because he can't sleep because he's having these nightmares of Trinity dying. And he starts talking with this counselor who's like the leader of their government. And this conversation I thought was really interesting because what the counselor is basically saying is, While we're down here in this city fighting against the machines, we have machines and we need machines because they're deep in the the core of the earth and they need machines for air and to purify the water and all of these things. And Neo is like, so the point that you're making is that we are in some kind of balance between the machines and the counselor is like, no, old men like me don't bother making points. There's no point. And I thought that was a a clever turn of phrase. And it does also sort of explain the universe a little bit better in that, yeah, these guys are using technology to fight technology, which makes sense. But it's it's weird, you know? Yeah, I I like this scene. I had no recollection of this conversation at all. And the actor that plays Counselor Hammond, this guy, Anthony Zerby, I thought he was great. The only thing is, unfortunately, his character's name is Counselor Hammond, and this guy sort of resembles, to me, the uh, actor who played the Emperor and uh, Senator Palpatine, Ian McDermott, uh, from the Star Wars trilogy. So I looked at this guy, and I was like, oh, here he is, like, you know, talking soft, and like, oh, he's going to be so evil. I just thought, like, this is like the Palpatine guy. Did you have any feeling like that? No, I just thought he was like a sweet old man. Yeah, I mean, he was great. So I I was kind of like, he's going to really turn on him. But no, it didn't turn out that way. I just kind of confused the franchises. Gotcha. But then Neo goes to see the Oracle because that's what Morpheus is saying he needs to do. And this is a long conversation between Neo and the Oracle. And in it, we find out that the Oracle is a computer program like Agent Smith, like a lot of the things in The Matrix. And Neo is like, well, then should I trust you? Because you're helping me, but why would you help me if you're a computer program? And she's like, well, you can choose to trust me. You can choose not to. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and the rest is up to you. And then she also tells Neo that he needs to find the key maker. And the key maker can bring Neo to the creator of The Matrix, the program that created it all. And Neo's like, okay, fine, I'll go find the keymaker. But before he does, Agent Smith shows up. Apparently, after Agent Smith was defeated in the first movie, he was supposed to be deleted because he's a program. And when a program is no longer useful or has been defeated or something, it has to be deleted. But Agent Smith didn't want to be deleted. And instead, he is now replicating himself all around the Matrix. So instead of just one Agent Smith, there are many, many, many Agent Smiths. And not surprisingly, Neo gets into a fight with all of these Agent Smiths. Yeah, and there are a lot of fights in these films. 
I thought this one's pretty cool. I think it also maybe goes on a little bit long. Oh, more than a little <laughs> bit. You know, it's visually really interesting. However, they're kind of like, okay, he's punching him through a wall. But, like, it's Nia, so that's not going to hurt him. And that's Agent Smith. That's not going to hurt him. It's almost like when Superman's fighting General Zod. It's like, okay, you punch him through, uh, you know, up through the ceiling. It's Superman. It does take a little while. But there are some really cool parts. I think my favorite is when he finally gets, like, a bow staff. And then he just starts kicking ass against all these Agent Smiths. And there's this one part where he plants the staff down and does this move where he just starts in the air, just swinging around, kicking thousands of agents it's fantastic on a bow but it's a little long it's very very long and you're right visually it is amazing the technology that they needed to make this scene happen did not exist they created it just for this scene i was reading something today that they said to get this scene done would have taken years but they like created all of this new technology while they were making it it is a feat of special effects. Technically, it is amazing. But yeah, it's very boring because it just goes on and on and on. And the way it ends is with Neo flying away. And why doesn't he do that sooner? He can fly. He knows he can fly. He's flown earlier in the movie. I think Link says, oh, he's doing his Superman thing. Funny that you just mentioned Superman. But yeah, like he can fly. It's very clear pretty early on in the fight that it's going to be a stalemate. Why doesn't he just leave? I just think that this scene would have been so much cooler had they sprinkled all that really interesting Agent Smith lore, had they sprinkled that throughout the fight. I think that would have been great. Like, you know, there's a couple times when he has him in a headlock and then explains, they tried to delete me, but I didn't want to. And then they fight more and at least... There's a reason to watch it again for the plot. And, you know, in the first film, the fights meant something. You had to watch this kung fu. Oh, you have to see how we can do it. And uh, this fight, this is where Neo can finally be fast enough to overcome them. And you're going to see the gymnastics, what they can do in this scene, you know? Right. You also raise a really good point about the separation of exposition and fighting. Those two things are very, very separated in this movie. And what preceded this fight was a lot of talking between Neo and the Oracle. And what follows is a lot of talking with Merovingian, who is the keeper of the Keymaker. He is his prisoner. And uh, he is this Frenchman, but not really a man, a program like a lot of other characters in this movie. And he refuses to give up the Keymaker basically by saying that there's really no reason for him to do it. Neo is just there trying to get the keymaker because the oracle told him to and he pontificates about choice and free will and cause and effect and it is a lot it is a lot of really pretentious dialogue yeah and you know this character uh Merovidian, i think he's an intriguing character but this scene also introduces us to persephone the uh Merovidian's wife played by uh monica bellucci Brrr. Which is a very interesting that uh, programs would find themselves to have some kind of partner. I think that in and of itself, I was thinking about that a lot. And they don't really explore that. You're right. But not only is she the wife, she's also the jaded wife because her husband is 
not only just endlessly pontificating about all of this stupid bullshit, but he's also cheating on his beautiful wife. He like creates this program that gives this other woman who's sitting in this restaurant an orgasm. And then she excuses herself to go to the bathroom. And then he goes after her because he's going to have sex with her. And then later Persephone is saying that, oh, she will give the key maker to Neo because she's so mad at her husband. But it's like not only can these programs get married, which is, like you say, odd, but they also can cheat on their wives and get blowjobs in the bathroom. Like, wait, what? Well, it's implied that this part of the Matrix is where programs that you couldn't quite delete them and there was something wrong with them. The Matrix doesn't want them to exist, but I think they kind of exist outside of most of the Matrix that they can kind of not get deleted by the machines. Yeah, sure. It's all anthropomorphisms. These are programs that act like people. And the Merovingian, I'm just going to call him the Frenchman because that word's too damn hard to say. But he even says, like, I love fine food and fine wine. And I know these things aren't real, but I love them anyway. And you have to take the time to appreciate them. So he kind of acknowledges it, but it is still weird. But I will still argue intriguing. Maybe not explored to my satisfaction, but it's an intriguing concept. I agree. I do agree with you there. But then Persephone leads Neo and Trinity and Morpheus to the Keymaker. And then the Frenchman's goons spot them because Persephone shot one of the guards and then told the other guard to go tell him where we are and what we're doing. You'll find him in the women's room. Like, why didn't anyone stop that guard from running away? Because it seems like it would have made it easier to escape with the Keymaker. But that's not the point. The point is that it's going to be really hard to escape with the Keymaker. And what follows is another long, drawn-out fight scene with Neo and these twins who are kind of like Agent Smith, but also they're kind of ghost-like because they can turn themselves into apparitions. Yeah, and, you know, Neo's fight scene uh, takes place concurrently with Trinity and Morpheus. He even says, uh, you guys go, I'll handle it from here. But... Really, all it is is it was the stopping bullet scene from the end of The Matrix. But instead of stopping, uh, you know, two or three bullets from Agent Smith and his companion, it was stopping like a hundred bullets from a bunch of uh, automatic weapons. And I found it, you know, again, very cool martial arts, but, you know, similar to what we had seen already a couple times in this film. Yeah, yeah. And then at the end of this fight scene, the Frenchman and Neo kind of verbally spar and the Frenchman opens a door and he's going somewhere and then he closes it. And then when Neo opens it, he's in the mountains and there's no way for him to get back because he's hundreds of miles away. But uh, Link basically tells him where everyone else is and he just flies off. He's going to, you know, fly there on his own. Yeah. And now we lead to what's probably, I think, the most famous scene in this film. This is the highway chase scene. Apparently, I think they built, like, dozens of miles of highway for this. I mean, this is the kind of thing. Yeah, you were reading about this, and you saw this in the trailers. And Morpheus and Trinity, with the Keymaster, trying to get him across this highway. And they're being chased by these two, uh, as you said, these ghost-like henchmen who are identical twins. I think the wardrobe for them, the makeup, it's amazing. These guys look weird-looking and just kind of, they don't look quite human. They look, uh, I I think it's it's cool. I think it's distractingly weird. They look like 
guys who would have been rejected from like a white snake video in the 80s like they have these white dreads but they're also kind of balding like all of it is just bizarre and i just didn't get it yeah i mean i thought they were intriguing you don't see much of them they kind of get the darth maul treatment where they just have like one or two lines and the lines they say are i think they're going for comedy because they're sort of supposed to be maybe they're kind of one mind and as they're driving and chasing them one of them says we are getting aggravated and the other one says yes we are and i couldn't quite tell what they were going for with this character is it kind of comedic sort of like jaws in uh the bond films Maybe. I feel like I read something before this movie came out where it was like, if you thought Agent Smith was a big deal, wait till you meet the twins. And they're supposed to be like this next big foe. And they put up a fight, but then Morpheus blows them up. And maybe they're dead. Maybe they're not. We never see them again. uh, So you could assume that they die. But the bigger problem, I thought, was that the entire freeway chase scene is way too long. And I appreciated it because, like you said, that fight scene with Neo before this, it was like just another Neo fight scene, more stopping bullets, more flipping off the walls and stuff, which is cool, but we've seen it so much, even in this movie. It's what we saw when he was fighting Smith. And at least this is something different because they're on a freeway, but it still is just way too damn long. They're showing off. They are showing off what they can do. The filmmakers, I mean. You know, like that they built this stretch of freeway and that they can do all of these amazing stunts. And it does look cool. But I think this sequence is like 25 minutes or so, something like that. And after a while, it's like, come on, let's just get to it. I was just kind of trying to admire how much work and detail went into every little, like, wow, they're focusing on the ripples in the explosion on that big uh, 18-wheeler there. I just kept going like, whoa, and whoa, with that motorcycle stunt. And I thought it was really a fascinating uh, spectacle visually. This highway scene really had a lot of anime-like characteristics to me. Like, it was a live-action anime. There's a great explosion at one point where you see the slow motion as parts of the truck are slowly melting inside this explosion as it's slowly creeping up. But it has really zero plot. Yeah, it's a lot. It is just a lot. Neo eventually saves the day at the end of this uh, highway scene because Morpheus, the Keymaster, and Trinity, they are on this truck. They've blown it up. They're about to die in this truck explosion. And uh, Neo flies in. Link is like, something's coming in faster than anything I've ever seen. He does manage to catch him, and uh, he saves the day. He does. So now that they have the Keymaker... And by the way, you keep calling him the Key Master. That's from Ghostbusters. Key Master and Gatekeeper in Ghostbusters. That's true. Respect to Rick Moranis. Indeed. But uh, they have the Key Maker. And so in order to get to the creator of the Matrix, which was their plan from the beginning, they need to go into this one building and some other guys need to shut down a power plant so they can knock out the power over like several city blocks. And another team needs to go and knock out the backup generator. So... There's three of them because two other ship captains have gone on this mission. Uh, One of them's Niobe. 
And by the way, Locke was very upset that the council said that two other ships could go. And I was kind of like, he's losing three ships and like Zion's under attack by, I think they say 250,000 Sentinels are coming and he's worried about losing three ships. Seems like a drop in the bucket. But then I was reading something today that apparently they only had 12 ships. So that's, you know, one quarter of their army. So I kind of get that then. But unfortunately, one of these teams is killed by Sentinels in the real world. And so therefore their team is taken out in the Matrix and Trinity has to go in. And Trinity promised Neo that she wouldn't go in because Neo told her that he has this dream of her dying. It's worrying him and he doesn't want her to have anything to do with this mission. She agrees. She says she'll sit it out. But when the other team goes down, she has to go in because otherwise the entire mission won't work. But then once she does go in, it plays out like Neo's dream where she is on the motorcycle and she's in the building and then, you know, pursued by this one agent. And it's all playing out as he had foreseen. Exactly. And Neo and Morpheus, they, along with the key master, a key maker, I'm sorry, <laughs> the, the key maker, there's a bunch of Agent Smiths that are after them, but they're finally able to get to this one special area, uh, not before the key maker is killed, but key maker is able to give Morpheus and Neo two final keys. Morpheus, the key he needs to get on with his mission. And to Neo, he gives him the key to get to the maker of the Matrix. A.K.A. The Architect. Yeah, this was the scene I was waiting for. Just kind of, all right, give me the mythology of the Matrix. I want to hear the story about it. I want to hear what it is. And we got a little of it in the first film when Morpheus showed uh, Neo on that little television screen what their side of the story was. But now we got to hear the Matrix's side of the story. And this guy calls himself the architect. Do you know who was supposed to, uh, who was offered this role? And it will make perfect sense. Yes, it was offered to Sean Connery, but he didn't get it. And I think this was around the time he had retired from acting anyway. And he was just like, nah. You know, another role he said no to famously towards the end of his career. Uh, I forget. Oh, probably cost him a hundred million or so. What? Gandalf. Oh, okay. I don't know that I knew that. Interesting. Yeah. So the uh, the actor, I mean, I think he's a he's a very good actor that plays the architect. But he looks like get me Sean Connery. Sean Connery is not available. Well, then get me an actor that looks just like him and can act. And you know, this guy basically explains the the Matrix how essentially something that Smith had mentioned in the first film that this is not the first version of the Matrix. The first version was this utopian society. But the human crops, uh, what they call them, crops, they couldn't take this utopian. There had to be suffering for humans to uh, think that this is realistic and, you know, another intriguing concept. But the architect explains to Neo that this is actually the sixth version of the Matrix. And not only is this the sixth version of the Matrix, but this is the sixth version of Neo. And there's always a trinity and, like, this stuff is going on and on and on. The architect seems kind of almost bored by it because he's like, you know, you're going to make this choice. And I know exactly what you're going to do. And, you know, the machines are eventually going to win. Well, he doesn't really care which choice he makes. And we should explain what the choices are. He can go through one door and he can go to the source code, which is going to reboot the Matrix. And what he'll do is he will then choose a handful of people that will repopulate Zion and the cycle will start anew. 
But if he goes through the other door, then he can go and save Trinity, but then he is going to basically cause the system to crash. All the people who are connected to the Matrix, like all those pods we saw in the first movie, all of those people will die, and the machines are going to destroy Zion, so all of those people will die, and it'll basically be the end of humanity. And uh, Neo is like, well, you can't do that because the machines need people for power. And he's like, there are levels of loss we are willing to accept. Are you willing to accept that? Yeah, I love that line. It's great because all you need is one machine, basically, you know, like a Wally kind of thing. Just just wait it out a thousand years, two thousand years, then just rebuild us. Yeah, I mean, it's a huge decision that he has to make in a second, and apparently all of the other Neos chose to reboot the Matrix, but this Neo doesn't. He goes after Trinity, and the architect is kind of like scoffing at, oh, well, I guess because of love, how stupid. But also, we should mention that while he's explaining all of this, he's using words like vis-a-vis, therefore, ergo, concordantly. He's pontificating he's explaining these things in complicated language it is not at all like the scene in the first matrix movie when morpheus explains to neo what the matrix is and he holds up a battery he says this is what people are and then neo gets it and the audience gets it this scene confused people it was just a lot of like wait what did he say huh what vis-a-vis what it's confusing and it was parodied brilliantly by Will Farrell playing the architect for like the MTV Video Music Awards or Movie Awards or something. Erica, open your yapper one more time and I'm gonna architect a world of pain all over your candy ass. Ergo, vis-a-vis. When I was watching this scene, I was just thinking of Will Farrell like screaming in his Will Farrell voice, uh, which is obviously funnier, but um, it's a lot to process like while you're watching it. Yeah, uh, it does really give you a lot of stuff, but Neo does make a choice, and he chooses not to go into the source code like uh, like his predecessors had, and he is able to fly and save Trinity, and he's able to catch her before she hits the ground. However, he's not able to catch her before the bullet penetrated her abdomen, so she still has this seemingly fatal wound, and it takes her to the top of a building, and that's where Trinity dies. We even see in the real world that uh, the real human jacked into the Matrix. I really hate that term they used, but they use the word jacked in a lot. They do. Um, But uh, when she's connected to the Matrix, her character's uh, EKG shows a flatline. Right. But then Neo is able to bring her back. He, like, sticks his hand into her body and restarts her heart, which is maybe a Matrix superpower, But also, it's the exact same thing we saw in the last movie, where one of these characters dies, and then the other one brings them back with love. Exactly. And it's almost the exact same line by saying, you can't die because I love you. You know, I was waiting for, some again, something new. It's a cool visual, I'll say, and it kind of reaches in and grabs a bullet and pulls it out. It's almost as if the... The Jedis were fighting in episode nine, and then suddenly they just start shooting laser beams out of their eyes. Like, that's a thing Jedis can do? Like, these just seem to be new powers he's coming up with just on the spot. This seems to be something very easily to have introduced earlier in the film. Someone gets injured, Neo finds out he can heal you. Great, we explain that, but you know, a boy, she's already dead. 
But maybe Neo's power that we already saw, plus a little love, maybe that could do it. But this, I was just like, I don't get it. He just scooped a bullet out. The plural of Jedi is Jedi, James. I mean, you got to know that. There's no such word as Jedis. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. A single Jedi is Jedi. Many Jedi are Jedi. Just get your facts right, okay? That's all I'm saying. That's your only comment to what I just said? Yes, it really is. Um, But it's anticlimactic because it's the same thing as what happened in the first movie. It's anticlimactic because it just followed the scene of Neo and the architect talking for 10 minutes in a white room. And like the whole end is anticlimactic. But then... The Nebuchadnezzar is destroyed by these sentinels and Morpheus and Trinity and Neo are running away. But then Neo's like, I think I can do something here. And he turns around and he puts his hand up and he stops them. And this is the real world. It's not the Matrix. So this is new that he can do this. He's surprised. Everyone's surprised. But he faints. He passes out. Now he's in a coma. And the cliffhanger is that all the other ships were destroyed by like a mistake that there was an EMP that went off at the wrong time and the Sentinels are now on their way to Zion and there's only one survivor. And it's this guy who we saw earlier in the movie is in the real world, but is also Smith. So now Smith is in the real world. Neo has powers in the real world, but he's in a coma to be continued. Yeah, and the problem I remember having with the uh, Agent Smith real world looking guy is that I barely remembered this character. So the final shot is going to be Neo unconscious. And there's somebody else they're going to show. And it's, wait, who the hell is that guy? To be continued. He's barely in the films and not emphasized. The kid has a lot more memorable time than that guy had. Had he been put next to the kid, I would have been like, Oh, the kid is a traitor or something? That's interesting. But I, for the life of me, couldn't even remember who this person was. But yeah, that that is the end. And since we're at the end of this film, uh, do you think that this film stands the test of time? I do not. This is a bad movie. It really, really is. It's over two hours long. Next to nothing happens in it. The plot of this movie is paper thin. The machines are coming to Zion. We better go talk to the Oracle. Oracle says get the key maker. They get the key maker and Neo has powers in the real world. That's it. The problem with this movie is it's all bloat. It is just bloat. It is more action. It is more philosophy and discussions about the nature of life and humanity and choice and free will and destiny and all of these things. But it just doesn't work. It doesn't fit together well. It's not a coherent story. And I think people were disappointed by it because people wanted to see more jaw-dropping action. And what they got was a 20-minute rave scene, long speeches with the Oracle, long speeches by the Frenchman, long speeches by the architect. And then they're punctuated by these really long, elaborate fight scenes, which are cool, but it all just goes on too damn long. It all just feels like unnecessary pretentious garbage and I understand why people flock to see this movie and its box office numbers were huge and I also understand why people were pissed off after they left the theater I know I was I remember my friends were we were like what the hell is that 
the climax of the movie is talking to Colonel Sanders lookalike? Come on. So, no, I do not think this movie stands the test of time. What do you think? Yeah, you know, this film uh, I had not seen in, in almost 20 years. And I will say I actually liked it better than I did uh, in 2003. I will say what I 100% agree with you is I left the theater thinking, what the fuck was that? Because I was so excited. The Matrix kind of, to this day, it changes the way I think. You know, in the back of your mind, you know, is this real? You know, almost like the Matrix changed a lot of things. But The Matrix Reloaded was uh, completely forgotten by by the zeitgeist. And, you know, these characters, if you referenced Morpheus today, I mean, that's still a meme that people are using every day. Sure. But, yeah, but you mentioned uh, Niobe. Uh, I, I think Jada Pegasmith uh, played her very well, actually. I think she was a badass character, but, you know, completely forgotten. But, you know, I want to talk about things that are amazing in this film. I, I said it earlier that uh, the fight scenes are beautiful. The special effects, for the most part, still stand up. I think there's a couple bad scenes. Um, there are these like mech warrior like uh, battle tank suits that these guys wear. And there's a couple really hokey looking cartoony action shots of them. But um, the rave was not 20 minutes, Al. And the, the, I'm, I'm sorry, was it 30? <laughs> no. 45? <laughs> 73. The, the highway scene was that long, but, uh, you know, the, the, the speech of the Oracle was not 20 minutes. I actually love the lore of this film. I think it's actually fascinating. Some of the decisions they made, I think the architect scene is actually really cool. I think the score is great. It's not as memorable as the first one, but it's just epic, I, I would say. There's a good amount of the plot I do like, and this film could be recut. But just the film that we have is kind of a mess. I, I'm not going to be as uh, judgmental as you are. That's just condescending and uh, blah, blah, blah. I just think it goes on way too long. I will agree with you. Not much happens. I disagree with you that I think what does happen is, I think, pretty fascinating. But it's not much. And how does Neo have these powers at the end in the real world? I was definitely thinking this is, oh, this is this is ship in a bottle. They didn't really escape, and Zion is in another Matrix. Whoa, what a great twist. Like, oh, were you expecting a twist like that, Al? Like, that, that's what I thought it was. And of no. course, Neo can have powers, because Neo can have powers in a computer program. And I thought, well done, that's what this is. I thought that was the twist. And that's not what the twist is. But that would explain it. I thought that would be a cool thing. Yeah. But that's not what it is. And I agree with you. This film alone just, unfortunately, it doesn't hold up in the fact that if it wasn't called The Matrix 2, I might say it's an interesting concept of a sci-fi film. But the film alone, it's just not really giving you much. And it's just a bridge to the third film. The film is just, it's, it's just a little bit broken. And it's too disjointed. And for that reason, it does not stand the test of time. That's a bummer. But hopefully things will turn around next week when we watch The Matrix Revolutions. The thrilling conclusion of The Matrix Trilogy. Back when it was a trilogy. Before it was a quadrilogy. Or a franchise, I guess you would say. So make sure you tune in for that episode. Subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to us on. And, of course, talk to us. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And don't forget AOL keyword, Test of Time Podcast. Not a thing. 
this movie was credited as AOL Time Warner. I don't know if we've ever reviewed a movie that had that before. Nice. We probably did, but we did not notice that. Yeah, I noticed it this time because it was uh, in the green font. But anyway, see you next time, everybody. Bye. 